So I'll do a little bit of, of a review. Yeah. Okay, so we had gotten started about what is the Eightfold Noble Path. Yes. And that we had started on a little bit with right view, but let's back up just a little bit and talk about how the Eightfold Noble Path, if it's in fact it is a path, fits into the overall scheme of things. Yes. And that the overall scheme of things actually can be cited the very way that the Buddha did in the sense that he says that both formally and now I teach only one thing. That's Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Dukkha Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what he teaches. Now, a whole lot of other people throughout history and especially in the West now have uh, we can actually call it Western Buddhism mm -hmm. has a whole lot of beliefs about a whole lot of stuff that the Buddha taught that he didn't teach. Mm -hmm. He only taught Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. He did not teach power tripping, magical powers or otherwise. He did not teach either eternalism, nor did he teach nihilism, nor mm -hmm. did he teach annihilationism. Mm -hmm. OK, he didn't teach any of those things. He was most accused, by the way, of teaching annihilationism. Because yeah. those who believed in and took on the belief of uh, eternalism were pretty sure that he wasn't teaching what they believed in. And so he was not generally accused of being an eternalist. But he was accused of being an annihilationist. And if you understand what that word means, you can say that um, in the sutta, it doesn't use the word annihilationist, but he gives a clear definition of what is annihilated. And that is, is upon the breakup of the body at death. Then the existing being is annihilated. Mm -hmm. This is normally the way that an atheist would look at it in the opposition to the Christian, that the self or the soul is not annihilated at death. But for the atheist, yes, the soul or me or the self is annihilated at death. Yeah. Now, some people say there never was a soul to begin with. There never was a self to begin with. It just is all wrong and I can go do what I want to and get away with it. And that's the nihilist. Yeah. The ones who think that they can go and harm other people and get away with it because there's nothing to stand in their way. Yeah. Okay. But the, if there's any teaching at all that we could put a label like that on, you could say that the Buddha then was a, a transcendentalist or maybe even a transactionalist or maybe a temporariness-ness. Okay that the self does come up and it comes up as a dukkha catcher. Mm -hmm. That when we're um, thinking about other people and being altruistic and helping other people and forgetting all about ourselves, then we're pretty happy generally. Yeah. But when we get selfish and defensive, that self is what is catching that dukkha. Okay. And so it comes and it goes. It's here and it's there. One way of expressing it is sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. 
A nut. A nut. <laughs> like in nut. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking walnut, pistachio, almond. <laughs> Almonds. Almond Joy, most specifically. <laughs> almond Joy has an almond, and Peter Paul Mounds is just uh, the chocolate and the um, uh, coconut without the almond. And their commercial was, sometimes you feel like a nut, and sometimes <laughs> you don't. Sometimes you eat our fruit, our <laughs> candy bar plain, and sometimes you have a nut with it. <laughs> I hesitate to speak on my beha generation on behalf of my generation often, but I think that might be a reference that's a bit <laughs> before my time. Um, well, over time, every word gets sexualized. It depends upon. Oh, I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking of the, the pistachios. <laughs> Is that Tamarata's law? Every word gets sexualized over time. <laughs> From time to time. <laughs> I mean, Floyd uh, was I very famous when he said that sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs> Sounds hard to believe that Freud said something like that. <laughs> but he had a sense of humor, too. So, never mind. Back to the point about Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda is the only thing that the Buddha taught. He did not teach magic. He did not teach reincarnation. He did not teach anything that a religion would teach. Because one of the most important qualities of a religion is, is that they are free to make up stuff without having to substantiate it. Mm -hmm. To where the Buddha, you could say, would be maybe the first scientist. Yeah that this stuff has got to be substantiated. It's got to be proven. Even if it is empirical, there is still proof in the pudding. Yeah. In other words, if and you have to joy, get... it can be seen. Yeah. Yeah. Not to get too far down the sidetrack, but am I to understand that your position is that teachings on, let's say, reincarnation or the heavenly realms were kind of a conceptual currency of the time and not core to the Buddhist teachings. Yes. And okay. furthermore, it's even more of a currency nowadays. Okay. And we could also go to the point of talking about it in the sense of a cornered animal. That magical belief is now becoming a cornered animal. Yeah. What is a cornered animal? What that means is, is that they're very defensive and they're overly aggressive and they're full of fear. <clears throat> Why? Because they've been backed into a corner. What is that corner? It's actually a set of realities that's closing in on them. Yeah. But the behavior that cornered animals have is exactly the same behavior as an actual real cornered animal with a real corner. Okay. Um, in fact, that's about two thirds of a cop movie right there. <laughs> Are we going to go on to the third, the, the last third now? Yeah, well, um, no, I like to just kind of make sure that students really get into what we're talking about here.
yeah. because this is this is a a, a toy to play yeah. with. This dama is not something yeah. that you've got to learn. It's something that we can really play with. Yeah. Okay. So magical belief systems are getting into being cornered. And so what you could say then, uh, the way that Archbishop Buddhadasa talked about it, and therefore it came the standard line there at the uh, Watsu and Mok, is that when people wanted to come and talk about rebirth and reincarnation, they say, oh, well, we've got better things to talk about than that. If you want to talk about rebirth and reincarnation, please go down the road there. There's a temple down there someplace that'll be very happy to talk to you about it. Rebirth and reincarnation as opposed to the rebirth of the mind, that things are changing, that you yeah. get in new input, you process it a new way, and you become a new person to experience that. Everything is temporary. It comes and it goes. And sometimes we're yeah. born as a nut and sometimes we're not. Yeah. Or you could say there's woeful states that we can be born into. Like hell. Yeah. Uh, hungry ghost, uh, woeful animal. And in fact, I've mentioned the woeful animal intentionally because that's the primary state that most Westerners are in. Mm -hmm. And then there's the Asura, which would be all dressed up with no place to go, all in battle gear, and we're afraid to go into battle. That's experienced in the sense of stage fright. Mm -hmm. Are these but the many people... different examples of it? Is this someone who who you might say has quote unquote their walls up? Has what? Has quote unquote their walls up? Their rolls up? Walls. Huh? Walls. Walls. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, because they're yeah. they're terrified of yeah. performing. Yeah. That the yeah. that the warrior is afraid to go in battle because he's afraid to die. The child is afraid to go on stage because he'll forget his lines. Guess what? He will if he's got stage fright. Yeah. Okay. And many people still have that. A lot of reasons why people are not willing to even have their um, uh, videos on yeah. YouTube is because of this um, stage fright. woeful state. Uh, that's a shame. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, exactly. So, in fact, that's a, a real joy that things come in fours and we generally only have to deal with four things at a time. Like there's four modes of clinging. Yeah. There's four woeful states. There's the four foundations of mindfulness. There's the four noble truths. <laughs> I mean, shall I go on? Because I can. <laughs> I mean, I thought there were the five sense bases, the five aggregates subject to clinging. There's four this and five of that and six of those things and 36 of them and 16 of this and 12 of that yes we know all about this that noble path. <laughs> and when people understand buddhism like that they can see that a few scientists really must have been organizing this thing but really the teaching is very simple yeah. it's only one teaching dukkha dukkha naroda but we can unpack that a little bit originally then right into the Four Noble Truths. Yeah. With the first Noble Truth is, is that there is suffering, but many people hear that is life is suffering. It's like life is a prison, 
rather than looking at it as the prison that we spend our lives in. Yeah. Okay. That dukkha itself is not life. That life can be quite joyful. Yeah. And so it's not life that's dukkha, but there is dukkha. So what is the cause of dukkha? The cause of dukkha is basically wanting things to be different than they are. Okay, if we don't like something, we want to push it away. And if we like something, we want to bring it to us. So I have a question about the difference between wanting and craving or clinging. Um, one of those, or craving and clinging, in my mind, seem to be... Look at my be, hands. Look at me. Yeah. Wanting, craving, clinging. Okay. So you think it's all, all a problem? It's all the same thing that in that in fact uh looking at it from that perspective uh the the cause of suffering at the second noble truth when that's expanded deeply that expands right into the deeper teachings of the buddhas all nailed upon that second noble truth yeah. that's where you will find the lessons of Paticca samapada that's yeah. where you'll find the five aggregates that's where you'll find the four foundations of mindfulness. Okay, yeah. that's where all of that stuff lies, is within this second noble truth that's all based upon, and I'll give you an English language word that may help with that. It's based upon critical thinking. Yeah. Critical thinking means that we're criticizing. Yeah. That we're chopping that and say, this is good, and this is bad, this is one, this is two, that's three. In the sense of one's better than the other, and the more the better, the higher the number, and all of that kind of stuff that's actually quite delusional. Yeah. Okay, imagine that uh, you won, let us say, the weekly door prize at the uh, grocery store. Mm -hmm. Would you prefer a prize that was one grocery cart full of groceries, or two grocery carts full of groceries, or three grocery carts full of groceries? Is preferring like this much versus wanting this much. <laughs> okay, and now the next point is and that you don't have a car and you're going to have to take that groceries that you've won home with you and carry it for five miles. Yeah. Okay. Now that's beginning to put more into it when we recognize that our greed has consequences. So but the more we want, the more it's yeah. going to cost. Yeah. And so wanting it, itself yeah. is actually dukkha itself. One of the most clear definitions of dukkha is actually in many suttas where the Buddha is actually describing it, and there's a set pattern. The first starts off with old age, sickness, and death, then, then lamentation, grief, and despair. And all of those are quite clear and obvious. Old age, sickness, and death, death's really obvious. Erhau is hidden, tried to be hidden. Death does not get hidden very well. Okay. It's obvious and clear. Lamentation, crying, wailing, uh, making uh, noise, uh, lamenting out loud, etc., like that is clear. But in the mind, the next level, the first item on the list is wanting something that we don't have. 
And then the second one is putting up with things that we don't want to put up with. So that's actually as part of the definition of dukkha that uh, we can look at very quickly is, is that, oh, things may be okay right now, but someday I'm going to get old, someday I'm going to get sick, and someday I'm going to die. Am I ready to do that now? Because it might happen now. That's part of the teaching is, is that if you're going to go around wanting things, then when you're sick, you want to be not sick. When you're old, you want to be young. When you're young, you want to be old. And nothing is ever satisfying. And the reason that it's not is because we are actually ignorant of the price that we have to pay for things. And if you don't want anything, then your life is free. And the price is dukkha. And the price is dukkha. If you want something, that's dukkha. You, when you want something, that means that you don't feel whole, you don't feel correct, you don't feel um, complete, that you would feel better if you got that which your heart desires. So before this call, I wanted to jump on Skype and talk to you. Okay, and then you did that- jump on Skype and talk to me. What if you wanted to call me, jumped on Skype, and didn't get me? Then how would you feel? Then you want something that you didn't get, exactly. But you did jump on Skype, you did get me, and you feel better because you got what you wanted. So that's a very clear example of what we're talking about here. Please don't take what we're saying here and put it into a set of rules of the way things should be yet. Because we're already beginning to pick that stuff apart. Okay. Well, rather we're talking about the actual cause of suffering by observing the cause of suffering. Okay. That we're not watching where we're going. And so we we stumble and bump into things. Let's say in the middle of the night that you want to go to the bathroom. And you don't turn the lights on because you don't want to wake anybody up or whatever. But you you want to go to the bathroom and, and you're uh, fairly sure that you know your way to the bathroom. You've done it many times. And on the way to the bathroom, you stump your toe really hard. OK, you stump your toe. So the question is, did you stump your toe out of ignorance or did you stump your toe out of delusion? Ignorance. No. You stumped your toe out of delusion because I already set you up with that. You thought you knew your way to the bathroom and you didn't. You knew wrongly. We were deluded. We were in denial. If we were completely uh, correct, we would have turned the light on so that we could see what was there in front of us. We could turn it right back off again. Don't have to keep it on long, but keep it on long enough to see what's there so that we can see our path clearly, as opposed to walking around in the dark thinking we know where we're going, bumping into things. So the delusion is the real problem rather than wanting to go to the bathroom and not wanting to wake people up. Right. It's the fact that we were deluded And we stumped our foot on the uh, stumped, uh, stumped our toe on the way to the bathroom. So it wasn't wanting to go to the bathroom that stumped our toe. Okay, starting to make sense. <laughs> I that don't want to anticipate where this is going. It was the but, delusion we thought yeah. we knew where we were going. Okay, okay. 
And so basically what that means is, is that many people in uh, live their lives a lot of the time in what we would call automatic pilot, an old program that supposedly knows its way around. And we're constantly bumping into stuff because we're not updating the software. Yeah. We're not keeping track of the, uh, where we are. It's almost like taking an Uber out of Chicago and putting it into Los Angeles and not telling the Uber car that he's in a different city. He's just lost now because he he's trying to find his way around town and he's in the wrong city. Hopefully GPS will wake that guy up where he can figure out where he is. But we're talking about a, an AI now. But that's the whole point. That's the same thing. That's what they're doing when training AI is how to observe, how to see what's going on. And so this is what the basic teaching of the Buddha then is at this second noble truth level is to point out that it's our delusions, not ignorance, because why there is such a thing as wise ignorance. What is that? That means that I know, but I don't know. Wise ignorance would be, I know that I don't know, I'm not really sure on my way to the bathroom. Let me turn the light on for a second and make sure. That's wise ignorance. The delusion is, oh, I know my way to the bathroom without doing an investigation. So this is the second noble truth. The third noble truth is the noble truth that you can watch where you're going and you can come out of sukha or out of dukkha. You can come into a state of sukha. That's all the Buddha teaches. He does not talk about or uh, mention high-flying enlightenment or sailing around in the air or being perfect or any of that kind of stuff. But rather merely that you can live your life free from messing with yourself. Yep. Okay, that we can watch where we're going and uh, wake up to the fact that many things that we don't know and we can deal with it as uh, that way so that we can be comfortable and happy even though we don't know, we know enough. Yep. That's the way that we go for the third noble truth. We don't have to know everything. All we have to do is just know enough. And so the fourth noble truth then is um, it's kind of a stumbling block for a lot of people because we use the word path, the eightfold noble path, path this, path that. And when we think of a path, we think of a path in the fence of something like a footpath or maybe a parkway or a highway some place to go to where really the Eightfold Noble Path is more of the kind of path that's like a way to do things, a method. An example of that is, is that the, there is a method to get into the room, and that is that you, took, you take the right correct key, put it in the hole, turn the key, turn the knob, push on the door, and the door opens. That's basically all there is to it, three or four step process. And the door opens. And yet the human, the imagination from Western Buddhism is, yeah, but that door is a hundred miles from here, a thousand miles from here. And I got to go take this path to get to the door. No, the door is right in front of us. 
the door is always available in the here now. The question is, are you going to open the door right now? Or are you going to try to go someplace to find the door? Yeah. So this is what we mean by the method of the Eightfold Noble Method. The way to spend this moment. Either locked up or free. Okay. okay. And it starts with the right view. Pardon? And it starts with the right view. It starts with the right view. That an easy way to see that would be never mind the distinction between ordinary and noble for a moment, but that it, it would be right view to look at the Dhamma. And it would be wrong view to say, oh, I don't need anything. I can just go do what I want to do and get away with it. Yep. All right. So that's the beginning of right view, but it's going to be like all of the other aspects of the Eightfold Noble Method is a skill to be developed. And in mm. the beginning, it's just a mediocre skill. And the point is to develop it into a noble view. Mm. And what we mean by now is that we have to redefine the word view. Because normally when we think of the view just like the path a long way away, we think of a view is like a world view, a mountain view, a scenic view, a great big thing. Maybe it's um, like a, a full-blown attitude, and most people have the attitude of being a loser, being mm -hmm. a victim to society. That's why we have all of these helpers in this society. Agent this and lawyer that and accountant here and doctor there and mechanic over yonder and, and we keep needing all of these people because we can't do anything for ourselves. Psychologists and professional mommies or whatever. So uh, the, the basic attitude is that of a victim. And that the victim is victim to that authority system that he's already built up in his own mind. The ordinary right view. Yeah. This okay, is the, had, yeah, the rules to, that were built in. Mm -hmm. Now, we are prone to pick up those rules. Yeah. Reason that we're prone to pick them up is because it's part of our instinctual nature. We were actually built in with that programming. That programming was right down into the D DNA. You can see how that is when we begin to look at sheep and the way they herd, wildebeest when there's um, um, uh, lions around. Then we recognize that we have fish that school, but they only school in dangerous places. That birds, when they're frightened by a gunshot, they'll circle the tree as they're leaving it, but then they all go off in the same direction. They don't, don't disperse. And in fact, it may actually be safer if they would disperse. But the nesting instinct is buried that deep into the DNA of us humans. And we can basically uh, boil it down to the simple phrase of going along to get along. That we are herd animals, we're pack animals. Well, we become pack animals when we're in that herd, but we're yeah. but but we belong to a herd. 
Um, an example of that is sheep. That sheep, in fact, um, in on farm stations, are herded around by barking dogs. And the sheep do all of that, and they respond to the dog because it's built into their DNA, because their species learn to become afraid of biting wolves. And now the dumb sheep can't tell the difference between a biting wolf and a barking dog. Can you imagine if three or four of those old goats or sheep, they, they had a conversation to say, you know, that we're actually, each one of us is bigger than that dog, and I've never seen him kill anybody. All he does is bark. The next yeah. time he comes and barks at us while everybody else gets in a crowd, we're, the five of us are going to go surround that dog and, and, tell, and teach him what for. Right? Yeah. That doesn't ever happen. Well, sometimes it does. An example of where it does happen is in uh, Shelley's uh, book, uh, Frankenstein's Monster, the Frankenstein movie, or not the movie, but the actual book, where at the end of the book, all the townspeople are completely afraid of that monster. Yeah. Until one guy, he says, you know, we're bigger than he is. We can go get that guy. And everybody turns their fear into rage and off yeah. they go. But there's still a herd. Yeah. Everybody's um, in this herd yeah. mentality. And so that the biggest herd of all is human society. And my understanding of earlier in the conversation when this, we weren't recording was that it's not that the rules are inherently bad and there are actually some very good ideas in human society it's that it also allows people or gives people the tools to construct their own prisons or and or doesn't give the tools to free themselves right the, okay. so you could say then oh, that if everybody else is busy building their own personal private prison then the new kid on the block is going to join in and do the same thing and build his own personal private prison just to get along because that's what everybody's doing okay so it's not like a complete rejection of society and go live in a forest by yourself it's, it's more like recognize that society has good elements and or maybe skillful and unskillful elements and skillful ones are being are hard to come by let's say right okay because i live in a house with some housemates we get along quite well there are lots of unwritten rules just because we've been socialized that way and it actually makes things quite fun because i like my housemates we get along we do the chores we we sit we talk we don't throw food each at each other we don't or we aren't very violent to each other and that's quite nice <laughs> mm-hmm well then then that, that's a working system, but it's still an, a kind of an ordinary thing. And as we go along, maybe you'll find something to add to it, to spice it up, make it a little more noble. So now let's talk about noble right view. Mm -hmm. Noble right view, actually, we look at now the word view itself. We started to talk about this in the sense that, it, that noble right view is not a worldview. It's not a viewpoint. It's an investigation. It's actually viewing. Uh, that's how the word, that's what we mean now. That we put aside our world views. We put aside our views about how things ought to be or what society should be and things like that and observe things the way they actually are. So we could, I use the example of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Mm -hmm. 
Dr. Watson actually is a well-trained medical guy, and he's got all kinds of world experience, and he uh, has ways of understanding things. And so he and Sherlock Holmes walk into a room, and Dr. Watson is looking around and thinking about this, that, and the other thing, and what is, um, uh, and probably even talking to Sherlock Holmes. And what is Sherlock Holmes doing? He's got his microphone microscope out, and he's looking around. He's he's just he's inspecting this place while Dr. Wasit is just musing about it. Got it. Okay, so this is what we mean by right view is a full-on investigation. That I used to think that right view was going to be a particular view. No, it's not a particular view or a way of looking at the world. It's actually that we are looking. At what's the going act on. Looking at, uh, actively investigating, actively paying attention, and doing so with discernment, literally standing at the gate of our sense doors and deciding what's wholesome coming in and what's not wholesome coming in. Yeah. That's what this is really all about, is taking that discernment or waking up and doing that investigation rather than just assuming that everything is this or that. When you say active investigation, I mean, you know, on a good day, I might catch <laughs> a small percentage of things coming into my sense doors and be able to say, oh, that's skillful and that's unskillful. And is the promise of the method that one can turn this into a default? Uh, a lot of people would think that that promise is there, but it's also quite possible for people to grab hold of that um, promise and then practice for a while, not get the results that they want, and walk away from it the way that the fox ran away from the grapes, saying, well, the grapes were sour anyway, because he couldn't get them. Okay, so there's that danger in there. But you can also see it as an assurance in the sense that if you keep whacking at a leaf, uh, um, at a weed, it will eventually die. You do not have to pull it up by the roots. Imagine that there is a weed in the concrete, a uh, sidewalk, something like that. There's a crack in the pavement and a weed comes up. You cannot grab that weed without doing a great deal of damage to all of the um, uh, concrete. Mm -hmm. And so we do not try to pull it up by the roof. What we do instead is see any time that it's putting up a shoot or a leaf, we just whack it off. What's happening in this moment, if it comes up, we whack it off. That's all we have to do, knowing that the root will eventually wither and die, and that means that the more often we whack it off, the less often it comes, and eventually it takes a long, long time before it comes up again. Because it's not having much energy. This is also the way that the mind works at a neurological level. If you have the same neurological pathway that you keep using over and over again, it's going to get very strong. If you stop having that neurological pathway and choose a different way of thinking, different thoughts to think, then that neurological highway will grow old and rot. 
Meanwhile, the new highway is getting stronger and stronger. So we don't have to think about it uh, quite the way that you had mentioned it, but rather that if you are getting good success right now and you stop doing that and then you don't have success, then maybe it's a good idea to start back again practicing correctly and you get the results that you're looking for right here, right now. Without okay. having to think about the long term. Yeah, so. Um, I mean, I'm, as you can tell, you know, somewhat familiar, but somewhat new to Buddhism. Um, and also familiar with Stoicism, let's say. And so I've been trying to practice. Uh, you know, trying to see things right, not being too attached, those sorts of things. And I've gone to the point where if things do come up and bother me, um, usually it takes like a few days or a few hours for me to get over them. If I understand what you're saying correctly, the method of the Buddha it won't even take a few hours or a few days. It will come up, I will see it, and it will no longer be a problem. That turnaround time between Actually, something coming up. You're, or, but yet, the answer to that is yes, but you're missing several important steps. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the, the pro, yeah, the, yeah, okay, yeah. But I'm, uh, okay, maybe I'm maybe too fixated on the end and not so much, but trying to orient what the kind of like where 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 are where am i now where am i going to and then the how am i going to get there but having the right. clear sense of where and, am i going and, to and, is just... and that's ordinary right view of going okay. someplace you yeah. are already where you need to be there's no going okay okay i'm willing that, to listen right. <laughs> it's got to do with right here right now so the, the method then is right view is to be applied right now to see what the mind is doing right now with this thought. Never mind how many thoughts have been in the past or how many thoughts are going to be in the future. We're looking at this thought. Is this thought right here, right now worth having or not? Yeah. Now, normally the belief system that's kind of built into the culture is, as well as my thought is who I am. It's, I mean, that's who I am. That's my thought. Yeah. And they can't tell the distinction between who they are and what's going on in their mind. And the, and the weird part is, is that oftentimes that thought that they're having, they got it from someplace else. Right. Yeah. They read it in the book or they heard it someplace on the street corner and they brought it in. And now they're having that thought and they think it's theirs. Everything inside that they have let in now is all mine because it's inside. And so when thoughts come up, we have to start looking at them yeah. to see, is this thought worth having or not? Okay, so maybe I'll try ask again and see if I've understood maybe a little bit better this time. Um, so the let's say the skill of looking at a thought and asking, is it worthwhile? Is it worth having? Is it wholesome? Is available to me now, right, right now, now in this very moment? Right. Okay. Um, and is uh, and is available to you with few yeah. skills right now. But as yeah. you keep practicing doing this, you will build a skill set. And presumably the neural pathways, the familiarity such that it will become. Very 
quick. This is so when I said default earlier, maybe that that's what I was trying to articulate was okay, the skill set and the ability to do whatever it is that makes me satisfied or on you know at least not Luca is available now. But expecting, let's say, for me to be able to do that with every single thought and everything at my pen, everything I'm at not all my senses. I'm getting you to do it one time, and now all of a sudden you're thinking about doing it in every thought. Well, it would be nice. <laughs> well, yeah, but now you're wanting something you don't have. Okay. Yep, that's fair. Okay. So, yeah. getting back to the point about um, right view. Right view has a friend, right sati. The word sati is actually what we would uh, refer to uh, in a really friendly way as waking up to be in this present moment. It's yeah. often associated, and in fact, in the Pali itself, it has the quality of remembering. Yeah. Okay, to remember to wake up or to remember to be here now or remember to pay attention. Well, remember then, to investigate. Remembering <laughs> exactly fine, remembering to it. look at what's going on. Exactly. To stop thinking that we already know what's going on and dreaming about what we think is going on is we have to actually look at what's going on. That shati is to make that change yep. to wake up. Now, in English, they have translated that into the word mindfulness, which robs it of almost all of its power. That in fact, mindfulness is kind of a combination of sati and investigation. Yeah. But we're actually dividing them out because the Buddha divided them out. Right yeah. view or right investigation and to remember to do that investigation. And that skill is also available to me right now? Right I now. Mean, I guess if right you, now, right now, because the I'm, I'm literally on a Skype call with... If you have the skill of remembering and you you and in fact, one of the ways of saying about it is just that it's Murphy's law. Murphy's law is anything that can go wrong will go wrong. You've heard that before, right? And it will go wrong at the worst possible time. Bingo, that's <laughs> shotty for you. In other words, there are moments in your day that you're going to need to wake up and pay attention. And that's the time when people most likely are going to go to sleep and behave wrongly and screw things up. Is when times are tough at Murphy's Law. Whenever things are most likely to go wrong, they will. And if we have sati, we can prevent that from happening right then and there. But... Instead of going like, down, oh, I already, already know what's going on. We investigate what's going on. Okay. This is the bit where I'm slightly confused. It's like, well, I'm already there, but already clearly Murphy's there. Law still applies. Murphy's Law is going to always apply. Okay. The world is as it is. <clears throat> the question is, do you have the skills to be ready? to take on whatever the world issues out? Or are you going to be piled under it? Here's a way of talking about it. Each one of us, every human being, is an emperor, mm -hmm. a big king, an emperor of our own personal pile of dirt. Yep. The question is, are you going to be buried under your pile of dirt? Are you being clawing your way out of that pile of dirt? Or are you going to just sit on top of it, on top of the world? 
on top of your own world. That is, in fact, Lokatara, the Pali word, which means above the world, transcendent. It doesn't have any magic at all. It has to do with that I'm on top of this situation. I'm not buried under it. It's like that song. <laughs> right, so whatever. And so things are going to come. You are going to get sick. You are going to get old if you're lucky. And you yeah. are going to die. You yeah. might die before you get old. Yep. So you're lucky if you ever get old. Yeah. But most people who get old, they don't like it very much. That's, yeah. Where being old is really wonderful because nobody expects you to do anything. And you just sit on your butt all the time. <laughs> oh, I couldn't possibly get up out of this chair. I'm an old man. <laughs> Okay, um, maybe my confusion will become clearer later. But as I understand it right now is right view and right sati are available to me in this very moment. I already have the tools and tool the toolkit I need to neuro the dukkha. Um, yet things can and will still go wrong while I'm learning to apply this consistently and all the time or do i just not think about the consistently well, and all the time? this is you're trying to answer questions and you don't have all the pieces of the puzzle yet yeah okay continue okay. that's typical it's just the students a lot of students just ask and ask and ask and ask and ask a bunch of questions and they never get me get around to teaching them what there is to learn okay so now we're going to add the third item on the Eightfold Noble Path, and that is right noble effort. Mm -hmm. And right noble effort has various qualities to it, but primarily above all, one's right effort is to change the thought that we're having in this moment from whatever it is, junk thought, a regular thought, thought about the past, thought about the future, thought about work we've got to do, Thoughts of, that are restless, thoughts of here, or excuse me, thoughts of now, but someplace else. Yeah. So any of those kind of thoughts can be substituted for thoughts that are absolutely wholesome. And those of the absolutely wholesome would be thoughts that gladden the mind, brighten the mind, make the mind fit for work. And so we can start telling ourselves things like that. An example of gladdening the mind would be things are OK right now. There's not a problem. Wow, I can relax. Everything is nice right now. And I start to have thoughts that are comforting and secure. I recognize with my thoughts that there are no dangers around. There's no alligators on the floor. There's no snakes crawling across my keyboard. There, there are no tarantulas or other. Uh, okay, Johnny has just joined. I think. I don't see him yet. So. Okay. But anyway. presumably that's not a free license to just say, Oh, I shouldn't feel bad about, I don't know, punching someone. I shouldn't feel bad about. If you think of punching someone, number one, you probably already <laughs> feel bad. Number two, 
if you think such thoughts, you'll, you will feel bad and you will continue to feel bad so long as you continue having thoughts of harm. Yep. Okay, so you're saying that situation wouldn't even arise in the first place because you would have caught the thoughts earlier and recognized them as unwholesome. Right. And so you say, never mind, I don't have to hurt that guy. He's okay like he is. Let me feel good right now. Okay, I don't have what to about, think about him. Um, classic example of a stray arrow. You're just Hello, walking along, being happy. Hello. Hey. What was your question? Was... Ask your question again about the arrow or something. Oh, yeah. It's just, I'm just walking along, you know, king of the world. King of my own uh, pile of dirt, uh, thinking emperor thoughts, and I don't know, like an arrow comes shoots me in the in the leg out of nowhere. At right, that point, out of nowhere means you weren't watching, were you? <laughs> you were in a dangerous place and you didn't even know it. You weren't paying attention to the fact that you've got a whole bunch of archers hiding in the bushes <laughs> all around you. Uh, I feel that's a little bit unfair. Um, and not only that, but when that arrow did get shot at you, you weren't watching that arrow in the air, so you didn't step out of the way. So now you're stuck because of your own ignorance, your own delusions. You thought you were safe, and here you are, got an arrow stuck in you. <laughs> okay, so now we can start into the sutta number 64 where the buddha talks about this imagine that you are laying there with the arrow coming out of here and in yeah. the sutta the guy has his friends come and they come and they see him shot with an arrow they immediately send for the doctor and the doctor comes and he's about to do the surgery pull the arrow out and do what the doctors do and the, and this guy who is there shot with his arrow says wait a minute before you take this arrow out, I want to inspect that arrow. I want to find out who shot me. I want to find out what kind of bow he used and who his boss is and all that kind of stuff. I want to know what happened. I want a full investigation of what happened. And until then, I'm not going to let you take this arrow out. The likelihood is the guy going to die before he gets the arrow taken out because he won't let the doctor just pull the arrow out. So, so in that, that regard, exactly. what you need to do when you get shot with an arrow out of your own ignorance is to pull it out. Yep. And that can so be a harsh word, too. It doesn't have to be an actual real arrow. In fact, you don't even have any arrows in your house, nor any of your neighbors or anywhere around. There are no arrows anymore. Even Walmart doesn't sell arrows anymore. So in this case, um, the archer thinking, um, I'm not happy right now. That's because of an arrow. The correct thing to do is, therefore, I should pull the arrow out as opposed to just say, I should not think about the arrow in my leg. Right. Okay. Because you're too, if you've got the arrow in your leg, you are going to be thinking about it, but instead of taking the arrow out, you're blaming the guy who shot you. But replacing, so just to, so the, going back to earlier what you said, replacing painful or unskillful thoughts with skillful thoughts doesn't mean ignoring the situation at hand. Well, ignoring the situation is delusional. It's not looking at what's going on. Okay, yep. That in fact, the guy who is, is more interested in the archer than he is in the arrow in his leg is in a state of delusion. Interesting. 
Yep, okay. That makes I'm just applying that to insults now. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. okay. Well, back to the arrow. Most likely, these are the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. They can also be talked of in the sense of sticks and stones will break my bones, but words cannot harm me. Okay, so most of the arrows that you're going to actually have to deflect are, are vocal arrows, verbal daggers. Yeah. And actually, those things are really easy to pull out. Notice a thought. If you even uh, let them in. Yeah. But most people walk around with verbal daggers sticking out of them. Some of them are years old. Oh, yeah. So right effort. Right I... effort then is to pull out those daggers that you already are now seeing through a correct investigation. And remembering that you need to investigate. And remembering that you have to investigate. So right effort, right view, and right sati run and circle around each other, building skill. Building those neural pathways. Building new neural pathways, building uh, up a present moment. And so, yes, you can say that this is building new neural pathways, because mm -hmm. that's what skill is, is that certain kinds of neural pathways. But the absence of those neural pathways or the weaker, the weakness of those neural pathways is no reason to be upset or unhappy in the moment. Well, another way of saying it is, is that those feelings that you're having is just reinforcing the old habits that you've been having all along. Yeah, OK, that makes sense. I got you got. Yeah, got it. <laughs> Rather than taking the time to develop new new pathways. This happens in, uh, with students on a regular basis. Here's yeah. what happens is, is that let's say the teacher is Goenka and Goenka says, watch the breath. And if the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind, start again, come back to the breath. Okay, that's the basic instruction. But what students will do when they see the mind wandering away, they say, oh no, I broke the rule. I was supposed to be watching the breath. Oh, this is so hard. Maybe I'm not doing it right. Did I listen to the instructions correctly? All this meditation stuff is so hard. And, and what a monkey mind this is. Oh, poor me. This is never going to get better. This is never uh, going to get any better. I am not stuck. Yeah, okay. So I'm all of this is just I'm one hindering thought uh, after another, after another, after another, after another, when the actual instructions from the teacher was start again. Never mind. Never mind what the mind was doing. Wake up and recognize that you have a task at hand, and that task at hand in this case is watching the breath, which is part of the process, which we haven't started to talking about yet, which I'm about to. <laughs> so and just to recap, go ahead. when you say I'm already there, it's not necessarily like, oh, my like a statement about, let's say, the neurophysical pathways in my brain. It's a statement saying, um, not thinking that you're there will only reinforce the current pathways. Well, I think that the problem is with language that you're actually trying to construct something uh, in the sense that you are actually grasping and clinging after absolute correct understanding of what I'm talking about. Yeah. And even I don't expect that. 
because I know that it has to be repeated over and over and over again so that uh, actually you begin to build the neural pathways, but you're not going to figure it out because you don't have the tools to figure it out right now. Yeah. But what you can do is that you can see that other people can do this. That part of yeah. my job is actually to give you the spark yeah. of the confidence that you can do this. Because if you already have the attitude of, oh, it's too hard, and that fat old man doesn't know what he's talking about anyway, uh, then people are not like to practice. Yeah. But if they say, oh, the fat old man, he's, he knows what he's talking about, and he's quite joyful and cheerful about it, maybe I'll give a go and see if there's anything to it. Anything oh, yeah. to this this teaching of the Buddha, so, this Anapanasati, these four noble truths, and especially this eight noble method or eightfold noble path. So we've already covered three of them, just right, three you, so far. Right sati and right effort. Right effort, exactly. And that right effort has to do basically with um, developing the skill of taking control. Mm -hmm. And that we're going to learn to control two things kind of simultaneously. When I say simultaneously here, I'm using the word simultaneously in the sense of over a short period of time, like 10 to 15 seconds. Okay. About 10 to 15 seconds, a lot of stuff is going to be happening. And in that whole 15 second period of time, you can call that whole time then simultaneously. So the two things that we're going to work on, one after another, back and forth, is one is to control the breathing. A lot of meditation practices have just watch the breath, but if we're only just watching the breath, then the mind is most likely just to check onto something else and go watch that instead, especially old habit, habitual thoughts. So the way that the Buddha taught was we have to mindfully take a long deep breath and mindfully take a long deep out breath but these long deep breaths are not forced that's not the uh, the skill to be developed that in fact what the outcome or the point of this kind of breathing is is to relax so we want to have relaxed breaths to allow the body to relax to get comfortable i was stuck with my meditation a couple of weeks ago and I watched a video of yours going over this thing. And it was exactly that, which was like, oh, it's my breath. Let me try slowing it down and taking it longer. And I was like, damn it, he was right. <laughs> well, now you have, you're getting the other side of it. It's not that you can get it from me, but now you're beginning to see for yourself that it works. Yeah. That you can, in fact, uh, slow down and relax the breath. But you can also, by controlling the breath, you're actually controlling the mind because you're keeping the mind focused on it. That's the sati. You keep remembering to watch the breath and making sure that it's a long, deep in-breath and a long, deep out-breath. So we're actually working both with the mind and the body. And in that working with the mind, we're also going to make sure that the kind of thoughts that we're having are about what we're doing right now about this present moment as opposed to having long deep in breaths and long deep out breaths while we're thinking about going swimming 
Yeah. Or think about going to the garbage tip. Or thinking about buying something. Or thinking about a kneecap close by. That happens in the meditation halls a lot. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of kneecaps in those meditation halls. Some of them you can actually see them. <laughs> okay, so it's important to not just, you know, every waking moment of every waking day. Oh, maybe I'm actually I misunderstood the instruction or there hasn't been an instruction yet, but not just important to control the breath and take it, but also remember that I'm actually doing that. Be mm -hmm. in the present. To be not in practicing. the present moment, to look at what we're doing, to take that um, Sherlock Holmes spyglass out or um, magnifying glass and actually look at what we're doing. Which is breathing. Which is actually looking at that thought and looking at the body breathing. And looking at what's happening in this present moment through our senses. If your eyes are open, what are the eyes doing? If the eyes are closed, then never mind. What do you hear? What's going on around your environment? But most specifically, what kind of random thoughts are you allowing to come into the mind? Because we're going to start taking control over those things so that we can begin to have wholesome, gladdening thoughts. If our intention is to gladden the mind and we're going to have language to gladden the mind and we have thoughts about that argument we had with Aunt Susie, then that argument with Aunt Susie and thoughts of Aunt Susie is going to be a hindrance to us gladdening the mind. We actually have to have thoughts of gladdening the mind. Wow, this is a nice day. Wow, this Anapanasati is really good stuff. Oh, wow, what a good breath this is. Oh, <laughs> when I breathe out, I feel so relaxed. These are the kind of um, language that we will begin to use. Absolutely wholesome. We can also have things like uh, Japanese haiku would be no place to go and nothing to do. And the spring comes and the grass grows by itself. Ah, what a relief it is. These are all really wholesome thoughts to have. And so we need to practice these wholesome thoughts over and over and over again. Now, here's what happens with that. Basically, with this thing that we were talking about very early in it about the parent ego state and the child ego state now we're having the parent talk to the child in a nurturing way giving nurturement giving nutriment making everything is all right everything is fine rather than having thoughts of i got to go do this and i got to go do that and i got to write that email and i got to write that report and i got to sell that product up two three four off we go Right. That's how we live our lives. That's our society. And the hallmark of the society is if you don't work, you don't eat. And yet I know a whole lot of people who don't work and they eat. In fact, most people who do work don't eat well, but everybody who and and just working doesn't guarantee that you're going to eat. That's true. But presumably so, the people that you know are supported by the people that well, that whole point that we learned somewhere along the line, if you don't work, you don't eat, is actually not true. That's mm -hmm. one of the lies that we've been told, and that's one of the, the things that we believe to our detriment. 
So who's going to tell us that is the one who's making the benefit out of your work. If he can't get any benefit out of your work, he doesn't care whether you work or not. But if he is making some benefit out of your work, he wants to keep you doing and he'll tell you anything to keep going. Whether he's a pharaoh, building a pyramid or whatever it is. They want you to work because he's getting the benefit out of it. This is what we call capitalism. And our society in the West is a capitalistic society. Up two, three, four, four, four time. You got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. But if you stop listening to that music in your head and start listening to um, waltz time, your life becomes a waltz. If you're having waltzing thoughts. And one of the things about uh, doing the job is, is that uh, it's like a progression. You got to go from here to there. An example was you got to get from here to there over on the other side of the dance floor. Well, if I'm having a waltz, I could just enjoy myself and just dance and play. And the next thing I know, I'm on the other side of the room. And so this so right is view. right view. Yeah, exactly. This is one's right view of looking at what we're doing right this very minute. And the future is going to take care of itself. Right view, right sati, right effort. Mm -hmm. And when we put those things together over and over and over again, we get the success of that over and over and over again. So mm -hmm. if we tell ourselves thoughts about everything is safe, there's no dangers right now, there's no mafia, there's no gorillas, there's no pythons, there's no tarantulas, there's no problem. Everything is safe right now. There's not even any mother-in-laws. <laughs> right now, everything is easy peasy. And so we can feel safe and secure. With that long, deep breath and the feelings of safety and security, we can begin to relax and feel comfortable. And with that comfort comes on then the feeling of satisfaction. That satisfaction then is the sukha, which is just the opposite of the word dukkha. So the state of the third noble truth is the state of feeling good, the state of being in, in, a, in a state where you're not suffering. Everything's okay mm -hmm. right now. And we should pay attention to that. Right now you feel okay, right? Isn't that marvelous as compared to feeling bad? But you do all the time or most of the time or sometimes anyway, but right now you feel good. So recognize <laughs> that, that you're, the third noble truth is available right in this present moment. All we have to do is just allow ourselves to have wholesome thoughts. And by the way, the Dhamma that we're talking about is all wholesome. We could be talking about politics and then all three of us would be feeling unhappy. We could be arguing over who takes the virus or who takes the vaccine and all of that kind of stuff. So we're talking wholesome things. And so by talking about wholesome things, we're not being critical of each other or critical of, of anything. We're not using critical thoughts. We're using nurturing thoughts, feel good thoughts. And so we begin to change the language of that parent ego state from critical thinking into what's wrong, what needs to be fixed. I've got work to do into the nurturing thoughts of everything's OK right now. I don't have any work to do. Got no place to go, nothing to do. I can just sit here. 
<sighs> and relax. Just sit here and relax. That builds sukha. Getting ourselves into a state of sukha. Now comes the fourth ingredient. So we have pretty well talked about the first three. Right view, right effort, and um, right sati. To remember to wake up, look at what you're doing, and then change that into something better, wholesome. So were these the supports that you were talking about? Pardon? You mentioned supports and features. That's the fourth one coming by. We just yeah. now got three of them already. So yeah. uh, the, the four supports, by the way, is for the support of right, noble organization of mind or right unification of mind. And in the Pali, they call it right, noble sati or sama area samati. And the word samati is often mistranslated into concentration. Samati. Samati is the Pali word, and it means gathering together the necessary ingredients. It does not mean concentration. Concentration, actually, a good example is frozen concentrated orange juice. <laughs> Very good example, even though they don't sell it much anymore because they only sold it when it was heavily advertised. But frozen concentrated orange juice, nobody drinks frozen concentrated orange juice. What do they do with it before they drink it? When they take it out of the freezer, what do we do with it before we drink it? Diluted it. We put water back into it. We make it whole orange juice. Now it's not concentrate anymore. We don't want to drink concentrated orange juice. We want to drink whole orange juice. So why would we then want to concentrate the mind? We might throw some stuff out that we really need. Right, where is this going? <laughs> that where this is going is, is that the word samati means organization. Yeah. Does not mean concentration. It means organization. An example of that is a, a, a wall clock or let us say a grandfather clock is in samati when it's in perfect working condition. But I can take a sledgehammer to that grandfather wall clock or uh, standing, freestanding big clock, I can take an axe to it and get it concentrated. But it won't work anymore. It's not samadhi, but it's concentrated. We don't want it things to concentrate. We want to have the mind correctly organized. This relates or does not relate to unification? Yes, this is what we mean by right unification of mind, which means that we have to develop the skills that are needed and then put these skills into part of the package so that yeah. when the mind is skillful that it can be properly organized so this is what we mean by uh that and there are four components to get the mind into that state one of them is is right view right sati right effort and when we yep. practice that way, then we actually can put the mind into a good place. But then comes the next step in line, and that is, is that now that we can do this and we can see that we can do it, confidence grows. The Pali word for confidence is sada or shrada. Yep. And as confidence grows, so does our attitude begin to change. 
from the normal society's attitude of poor me, I need meditation, my mind is broken, I need help, dukkha, dukkha here, there, and everywhere, and I don't know how to get out of it. That is the victim. But we're developing out of that into the attitude of a lion, the attitude of a winner, the attitude of I can do this. If I can clean my mind out one time, I can clean it out a second time. If I can clean it out twice in a row, I can clean it out a third time. If I can clean my mind one time, I can clean it a second time. Pardon? If I've done this before, I can do it again. If I've done it before, I can do it again. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. Okay. So what if I haven't that, been there? Pardon? What if I haven't been like in a you specific You never will kindness? until you do it. Oh, and fair. when you do it and you're <laughs> successful at it, then the confidence grows. Yeah, fair enough. And so you have to begin with a little bit of confidence. If you can see that Johnny can do it, yeah. and I can do it, then you can yeah. do it. That's yep. where Sangha comes in. It's association. We can talk about it in the sense of guilt by association, except that this is association with the nobles. That if you associate with nobles, you begin to think like nobles. And if you are associating with alcoholics, you begin to think like an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. If you associate with Christians, you begin to think like Christians. Whoever that you're associating with, that's what you become. That's what happened to us when we were kids. We became associated to our environment, yep. which means that the, we were molded by our environment, but we can put that to good use here. Knowing that that principle is there, we don't have to continue to do it in an unwholesome way. We can begin to associate with people who are worth associating with. Yep. And when uh, you're associating with winners, you wind up becoming a winner. It kind of rubs off. If they say, I can do it, I can clean my mind out, I can be in a good state, I can have happy thoughts just because I know how to do it. And you can say, hey, if you can do it, I can do it too. And so you get sit down and you give it a go. In fact, you've already been giving it a go. In this past hour or so, you've actually been doing it. Yeah. And you're getting the benefit out of that. So take heed. Look. Investigate. Notice that you're already successful. Notice a glad mind as a glad mind. Right, that the gladdening mind begins to make us feel better so that we actually do feel safe and secure. We do feel comfortable. We do feel confident. We do feel, in fact, satisfied. And with that comes the new ingredient of success. You feel successful. Comes with the attitude, I can do this. We've got this wired. An example is, hold my beer. We can get it. Hold my wholesome beer. <laughs> right, exactly. Which means hold my delusional, uh, uh, drunken state. Take it away. I've got something I'm going to do right now, and I'm going to be really <laughs> successful at it. I'm going to be right back. Just one second. <laughs> so that's it that's actually a good idea that if you're in a conversation with somebody and you begin to feel bad you can say wait a minute or take me a second then you can go off and you take a deep breath and you get yourself back into good state you can say this guy's my friend you know i can be friendly and happy with him i don't have to beat him up with his own bad choices <laughs> 
we get ourselves back into a good state and then we can go back into it again. But we have to have this confidence built up. That confidence then is no matter what the situation is, no matter how polluted the mind gets, no matter what the situation is or what's happening, the first knowledge that is a function of the path of the Dhamma is no matter what happens with the mind, I can clean that stuff out and come back to this present moment and see things the way they really are right now. And I can handle it. I can take care of it. Yeah. That is confidence. And it is actually known as the first knowledge. It's the first step on the path. And that path, the first step means that this is... Um, super mundane it's above the world it's not ordinary it is a factor of the path this is noble and when it's not ordinary that means is that ordinary people do not have this kind of self-confidence in fact it terrifies them to find someone that really is on top of every situation they're in we don't like that when somebody really is in charge of their lives because why because such people might be dangerous if you can yeah. control yourself, you might be able to control them, too. Or so inspire them to control themselves. Which would be even worse. <laughs> that you can't control anybody, and we got to stop trying to control other people because it's hard enough to control one's own mind. Yeah. And when you can control your own mind, that means that you can feel the way you want to feel. But that comes in as the third first. First, we learn to control the body by learning to control the breathing and relaxing the body. Then we learn to control the mind by controlling what thoughts that we have in it, making sure that the thoughts are wholesome. By doing so, we begin to talk ourselves into feeling good, and that means that now we're beginning to take control over how we feel, which means you can feel the way you want to feel rather than feel the way that you're in the habit of feeling. So just imagine, how would you like to feel? And then feel that way. Talk yourself right into it. Okay, so be there. There you are. Feel the way that I'm you want. <laughs> That's a skill. Exactly. It's a skill to be developed is feeling the way that you want to feel. Yeah. Instead of feeling the way that you would feel because of the thoughts that you're having, that you can control the thoughts so that you can feel the way that you want to feel. This is, in fact, uh, the Pali word is sama sankapa. And that means uh, sama arius um, sankapa means that we have the right attitude, we have the right thoughts overall in in a way that you can think of it this way, and you can put this together for yourself to make sure that you understand it is is that your attitude has a great deal of bearing on the thoughts that you have. Yeah. If you have if you have the attitude of being a failure, you will have failure thoughts. And if you have the attitude of being a winner, you're going to have winner's thoughts. And if you have winner's thoughts, you're going to have winner's feelings. But the winning has to be correct. It has to be real. This cannot be uh, illusionary or what they call um, um, affirmations that we're not affirm we're not trying to affirm things to get it going. We're just happily seeing things the way they actually are right now. And the way things actually actually are right now is marvelous. Pretty good, yeah. 
I have a question and maybe this is a question for, you know, a much a later time. Uh, but who or what is taking control? <laughs> that that is the wrongest question that I know. Right, that that is an yeah. ordinary question that has no answer, but it does have dissatisfaction built into it. That's an irrelevant question. Okay. That in fact okay, a good. much much better way of looking at it is the issue of wise attention. This comes out of one of the sutras. What is wise attention? Wise attention is to pay attention to the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Noble Path, in the sense of this is suffering. This is what's causing suffering. This is the end of suffering. Ah, this is the way to get out of it. Okay? That's how we practice is getting into it right this very minute. Yeah. Rather than um, trying to prepare for it hoping that it will happen, and it really never does. Wishful thinking. These are affirmations. But when we're actually seeing the way things really are right now, that means that we are fully in control of creating our own reality, because that's what you've been doing all along. Anyway, we, everyone creates their own reality. People don't live in the real world. They live in a mentally constructed world. And most yeah. of the mentally constructed world that people live in is a prison. Whether it's an open meadow that we can dance in, or a ballroom floor that we can dance in. That's the way that it is, is that we create our own prisons by telling us our this is good and that's better and I like this and I don't like that. But in fact, this is the actual teachings in the Bible of the teaching of Adam and Eve. Yeah, Adam and Eve's something. story is they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Eating of the fruit means that you have to put up with the results of what you know. And what they know is this is good, this is bad, this is evil, this is okay. And by doing it like that, we wind up destroying our own personal paradise. God didn't throw Adam and Eve out of paradise. They chose to cut it down. They criticized it. They became dissatisfied with their own paradise. And guess what? Humanity has been doing that ever since. That is the original sin. Mm-hmm. And all of humanity is infected with that disease. The disease of critical thinking. And when you come out of that critical thinking, we're back into paradise. We're nurtured by our environment and we nurture our environment and everything is hunky-dory and everything is easy-peasy and there's nothing to do and no place to go and oh, what a nice day this is. So the right view, right sati, right effort and right attitude. Organization. And this right attitude together with the other three bring about right unification of mind. The mind becomes organized. It becomes fit for work. And one of the qualities of a mind that's organized means that we don't want anything. We're already completely organized. We're completely whole. We don't need anything. We don't want anything. 
And if I don't want anything, then I'm unlikely to go kill somebody to get it. If I don't want anything, I'm unlikely to go steal it. If I don't want anything, I'm unlikely to go lie to somebody in order to get it. Yeah. And so this is where the the um, uh, the Eightfold Noble Path winds up, is that these are features of the organized mind. When the mind is organized, we don't want anything. And when we don't want anything, then we act in a very noble, high-quality, high-class way. So the remaining four ones. Pardon? These are the remaining four things of the noble path. Well, we have in um, in succession right view, yep. right sati, yep. right effort, yep. right sankapa, right attitude brings about right unification of mind. And when uh, the mind is unified, we have right speech, right action, and right livelihood. There's your eight. So the first four, sati, are prerequisites for right noble view or right noble investigation, uh, sati, effort, and attitude mm -hmm. combine to produce organization, mm -hmm. speech, action, and likelihood. Our features of a mind is correctly organized. Supports. Um, supports and features. Right. So the features then is taught to children as rules. They call it the Buddhist precepts. Okay. But the Buddha taught it differently. He taught them, no, these are not requirements or prerequisites. Basically what happens is, is that people get uh, the cause, the the ultimate cause and effect relationship upside down. We get things yeah. backwards. We can't tell what is the cause and what's the effect. And so we often are trying to manufacture the effect in order to create the original cause. When the right yeah. thing to do is to just to do the original cause and then the effects take care of themselves. Interesting. Yep. And that's done often with meditation. Yeah. Okay, so that was, um, and yeah. that investigation then will help us straighten out what was the cause and what was the effect. And we recognize that our unwholesome thoughts give the effect of unwholesome feelings. And if we keep doing that, then we'll have an unwholesome body along with it. Yeah. Yeah. There is a chapter and I haven't. I'm not sure. Actually, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe right speech would just be. Now I was just reading. I uh, was trying to remember. Um, there's a chapter about morality and conduct in Mahasi Saido's Manual of Insight, um, but I don't remember it exactly. So it's probably silly to you ask about it. it what you need is your mind organized to the point that you don't want anything and you're satisfied with this present moment. Got it. Then morality will take care of itself. Yeah. So long as you keep the mind in the state of not wanting anything. So we can look at a lot of people who say, well, wait a minute, the Buddha teaches Sila Samati Panya and Sila comes first. It depends. 
on what they mean by that, because some people will say Sheila comes first in the long term, that you've got to be a perfect little boy for 10 years before you can sit down to meditate. Some people think about it like that. But another way of thinking about it is, is that you do need to have the sila, but we can gain that very easy by going into seclusion, getting yeah. away from yeah. the world. And when you're away from the world, you're secluded from the world, and then you're unlikely to kill the world yeah. or steal it. And so all we need to do is get into seclusion. Now that we're in seclusion, now the next thing to do is to become secluded from the world that we brought in with us inside or between our ears. So we escape from the world physically, but we brought the world with us. And so now we have to escape from that too, which is taking the unwholesome thoughts out and putting wholesome thoughts in. That's escape. Cool. Yeah, it is. It's, really cool. it's an easy yeah. practice. Uh, I think that's all my brain can handle for right now. So, I'll leave. <laughs> but we haven't done anything yet. <laughs> and in fact, what we've done is we've taken a whole bunch of stuff that you've got all over in the mind, all of these numbered things that we had talked about five of this and six of those and seven of them, and we're putting it all back together again. Yeah. So that the teachings of the Buddha are very simple, and it happens right here in this instant, right here, right now. Dukkha or Dukkha Naroda, your choice. To wake up and recognize you've got that choice, to wake up and to look at what you're doing, and then make a change. And then enjoy your change. Yeah. And then wake up again and look at what you're doing now. And then change that to something yeah. even slightly better. And then the Perfect. next breath, wake up again. Check what you're doing. And, and this sure doesn't necessarily have to be for 45 minutes a day sitting down. It's just in every moment of daily life. All you have to do is remember. If you can't but remember. I'm assuming sitting down for 45 minutes a day is, is also a good idea. Or maybe well, it isn't. We, we can talk about that at another time, but basically that is uh, looking at it in the way that things should be done. That's Silabhata Paramasa. That is what the Westerners see when they think of meditation. They don't think of, yeah, it's really good. They don't think of it like that. They think, of, oh, we got to have a meditation hall. It's got to have a shiny hardwood floor, and it's got to have cushions arranged in, in squares and whatnot with an aisleway between. And then we have to have a dais or a, a place up front uh, for, for sitting and candles and incense and um, uh, maybe a lotus posture. And then we have to have a Buddha statue or a monk or something up there. And this is all formalities. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, cross-legged on the floor next to me, but. <laughs> exactly. And so uh, the Buddha was about all of the postures. Yeah, got it. Whatever posture your body is in, you can remember to take a deep breath and relax. Whether you're in yeah, bed at night or in the bed in the daytime, or standing for a train, standing in line, um, sitting at the lunch counter, it doesn't matter where you are. You can take a breath. 
and enjoy this moment. Okay. Yeah, that's enough for today, I think, for me at least. <laughs> Trying well, to remember the last noble truth. And then go get those eight down and remember the supports and the, uh, what was it, the features. Make sure I've got the right terminology and the, the right translation and just consolidate that. Make sure excellent. it's uh, There's not very much to it. This is easy enough to remember. Yeah. Johnny already Especially remembers this, like right, that. Johnny? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but yeah well guys this has else. been really great i'm really glad yeah. that you joined johnny you haven't really talked very much no i joined a bit uh i i thought it was on the different on the on the other group that i sent that message asking so i was waiting there waiting 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 and the call will never start and then i realized it's probably happening somewhere else <laughs> and then someone sent me that link here and that's why i joined late and that's why i joined in the middle of the conversation but uh yeah just okay. been listening well there are actually three skype um addresses one called the sangha but it has so many members that skype won't let it work mm -hmm. but it's a good notice board for all kinds of things and so now for the uh, uh, for the working of the video calls and whatnot, we have the Sangha US and the Sangha UK. Hmm. The Sangha US happens on Friday evening from 7 to 10, uh, depending upon the time zone. So it starts at 10 in Eastern down to 7 o'clock on Friday nights, which is 10 a.m. on Saturday morning here in Thailand. Mm -hmm. And then this one uh, starts at four in the afternoon on Sunday in Thailand, which is about 10 o'clock in uh, UK time. Yes. Yep. Yep. I was aware of that I was just on the wrong uh, group. And so I kept waiting for the call to start. It would never start. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I have well, a quick join. So question. now that you I don't know, know if there's time. Uh, I don't know if there's time for like a quick question and I'm not sure. Uh, Absolutely. What's your question? Uh, well, I I've heard before of um, of um, having a, an intention and uh, about about intention and inspiration. Uh, and I'm not sure if that rings a bell in any way, uh, but I've heard, for example. Um, well, I know, for example, in in, the, in Tibetan Buddhism, they do things like um, like prostrations and things like that. That kind of like generate this kind of um, uh, this kind of like inner inner uh, energy. I don't know what to call it, but this kind of like inner uh, kind of like a stronger like intention to to uh, localize the mind in a particular direction and. Um, I I've been uh, you know in, in places like uh, like uh, you know the pragmatic dharma and all that that sort of thing they they often talk about having the right intention for the practice having a uh, an inspiration for the practice um, and uh, that sort of thing and I was wondering if you have any comments of that if you've heard anything like that or if this makes well, any sense at all or <laughs> actually we could say that we can use a different language than the language that you chose. We're, we're to actually talk about definitions of terms and whatnot. 
Um, you probably heard uh, the issue of uh, Anapanasati, a meditation for serious beginners. That's a book mm. actually uh, by Bhikkhu Buddhadasa, translated by um, Santikaro. Here's the point about the word serious is that it has many different connotations to it. You can see it good serious and bad serious. We can also see the way of intention that I can have the intention to rob a bank. So mm -hmm. we can have good intentions or bad intentions. But there is other language that we can use in the sense that I would use the word uh, enthusiasm or eagerness mm -hmm. for the Dhamma rather than serious uh, or whatnot like that. And you could go so far as to say, yeah, if someone is eager for the Dhamma, if they are um, uh, curious, eager, enthusiastic for the Dhamma, then they will have the right intentions to practice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. And the, the, that in fact, uh, Sama Sankapa uh, is often translated as right intention. But yes, right, it is, right yeah. intention is still a loser's mentality because real Sama Sankapa is not, I intend to do it someday or I intend to do it soon, but with a hot dog, I just did it. I'm doing mm -hmm. it. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of a difference uh, in focus with the word intention rather than the attitude, because attitude is right now and intention is to do something in the future. It's mm -hmm. also got other issues with it in the sense that intention almost means that we want something. You've heard the phrase that the highway to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. And, and, and if you have good intentions, that means you have intentions for something to be good later, rather mm. than enjoying the fruits of your labor right now. Mm. So intention has the quality of off in the distance, and it also has the quality of wanting something that we don't have, rather than mm. enjoying that which we do have. So, mm. um, I'm only making a slight way, uh, change in the in the wording so that we make sure that we know what we're actually doing here, because the word intention leaves some muddy area, some confusion with with the word itself. Mm -hmm. Perhaps, uh, in, like like you said, enthusiasm or or interest is a better language mm -hmm. to, to eager. Use. Enthusiasm, enthusiastic, those are the words that would be best described. Mm -hmm. That in fact, these are the words that the Buddha uses. Remember that I was talking about the first knowledge that no matter how obstructed the mind gets, that the student recognizes that he can clean that out. Mm -hmm. As that grows, it grows into even more enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. So that, that <laughs> when one is completely enthusiastic for the Dhamma, then that's actually another one of those levels of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so enthusiastic for the Dhamma is, gosh, it's a, it's a major ingredient. Mm, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. And I think that's what they mean when they when they uh, when they use that terminology. Is like that that enthusiasm for for 
for the practice and for the Dhamma. But okay. uh, yeah, they use different labels, uh, different words, but uh, sometimes might generate a bit of confusion. But uh, I think okay. the intention, the, uh, the, the, the intention behind the words is the same. Um, All right. So let's look at enthusiasm now in relationship to one's right effort. Mm -hmm. If mommy comes into the kitchen and sees what a mess it is and it needs to be cleaned up and the garbage taken out, she calls her teenage son to come in, take out the trash. He probably will do what he was told to do, but he won't like it at all. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's also quite possible that he walks into the kitchen by himself and he says, oh, what a mess this is. I bet mom will be really pleased if I clean up mm. for her. And so now mm. he takes out the trash, but he does it with a whole lot of enthusiasm and it's not nearly so much effort anymore. Mm. Okay, because now he's doing it because he wants to do it mm. rather than doing it because he was told to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is basically what we're meaning by the enthusiasm, but that actually happens in, in practice, that as the skill of enthusiasm grows, what that means is, is that the skill of right effort becomes easier. Mm -hmm. A definition yes. of one's right effort is the least amount of work needed to actually get the job done. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you actually get the job done, the least amount of effort is the way to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, if we have enthusiasm, then even that effort becomes piss easy mm -hmm. easy peasy yes. because i'm mm -hmm. enthusiastic and i know that i can do it i feel successful and so that attitude and that enthusiasm and that eagerness for the practice makes it easier and easier to do to mm -hmm. where in the yes. very beginning the students have trouble with taking the right effort because the tendency of the mind is when the mind wanders away they don't start again they piss and moan mm-hmm and they don't take the right effort because that's something that's not in their experience. So when they start doing it, it's actually some effort to remember to breathe, to remember to throw the unwholesome thoughts out and to, and to put wholesome thoughts in. But after we get fairly good at it, it becomes really easy to do. Mm -hmm. Yes, that When it's in true. its maturity, it's not referred to as effort anymore. It's referred to it as energetic mm. or enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's what we mean by that, as, as opposed to um, energy in a kind of a magical sense or in a new agey sense or, oh, I built energy today. You know, that's not mm -hmm. what we're talking about, that kind of energy. We're talking about the effort is so easy now that it no effort at all. We've got yeah. the energy to do it. We've got the mm -hmm. attitude to do it. We've got the enthusiasm to do it. Mm -hmm. The effort naturally uh, arises almost. There's no need right. to. So right, right effort becomes really easy because we've already developed it as a skill with right effort and mm -hmm. right sati and right view. So now mm -hmm. the skill of right effort is enthusiastic when it's a mm -hmm. good skill. Mm -hmm. Yes. And its power comes from enthusiasm, not from oh, poor me, I've got to clean up my mind because look how miserable I am. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's why we call it skill development, is a little bit of mm -hmm. time. 
It's a practice. Right. Practice satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we're so busy and so used to practicing being dissatisfied and wanting mm -hmm. things to be better, rather than yeah. just allowing things to be wonderful right now. Mm -hmm. Don't have to do a thing. Just enjoy. Yeah. And that really is quite um, uh, quite powerful to when one realizes that satisfaction is actually a practice and that <laughs> uh, it's not like dependent on some external uh, circumstances or whatever. And uh, that uh, in a way, our, our, our whole lives up until now, we've been uh, subconsciously practicing being unhappy, being dissatisfied. And so we have our whole lives of practice being dissatisfied. So no wonder that when we try to to practice satisfaction uh, in that same way, it's, it becomes a bit uh, troublesome and complicated because we don't have any practice doing that, right? Uh, so yeah, exactly. it makes a lot of sense. And then and then over time, uh, it becomes so much more obvious that that is indeed the case. That's and, exactly uh, right. It becomes more obvious. And part of that reason is because the skill of right view of looking Mm -hmm. becomes refined and more honed. So, of course, things that used to be hidden and hard and obscure, now they're completely obvious. There they are, just mm -hmm. sitting right out. He's almost slapping me in the face. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and that 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 recognition itself is uh, it's quite powerful. Uh, it changes one's mind, one's life, I would say. It does, uh, exactly. Very drastically. Mm -hmm. And then we recognize, wait a minute, this is all about attitude. That my mm -hmm. attitude is my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the way that I view things. It was my own personal hell because that was the lens mm -hmm. that I was looking at it from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lens. Yeah. I like that terminology. I like to use that as well. When we have the lens, you know, if if the lens is tainted orange, everything's gonna be orange. So <laughs> you know, if our lens is like seeing things negative, everything's gonna be negative. But uh, it's just a lens and you can take it off, put some other lens and uh, or remove them all entirely. That'll be better, I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah. That's great. Well, let's see who's got. We've got uh, Ferdinand and somebody else is on. I don't see everyone. But anyway, this has been a really great call. Thank you all for joining. Yeah, likewise. It's yeah. a ball. So, does anybody have walls. any parting remarks? <laughs> anybody want to? Uh, uh, well, hello, Ferdinand. Good to see you. Gosh, it's been a long time since I've seen. There you are, lurking in the dark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot for doing it. So I just, uh, I just saw it late today that there's this meeting now. So I, I probably, uh, I'll see if I can join earlier next time. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still like. Uh, watching a few videos every week and, and uh, still getting inspired. And so, yeah, uh, you, you said once uh, before retreat that I should like persist enthusiastically. And I thought that was the, 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 a great translation to strive diligently uh, for <laughs> retreat. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to keep that up. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. It's good to see you again. Yeah, we've likewise. had a lot of conversations before, and then you got it. So you went off and did your thing, but I'm glad to see you come back and say hi. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah, maybe I'll call you again sometime. Okay, one on one, yeah. yeah. Anytime that you want to. You know the hours. I'm up in the daytime. Uh, 
So thanks for checking in, and I hope that you can join us. We're going to be doing this every week at the same sure, time. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, guys. Yeah. the afternoon Thai time, which is uh, 10 in the morning uh, on Sundays in the UK. So in Germany, what's that? Is uh, one in the afternoon? 11, I think. 11. But I, I, I figured it out. Yeah, it's one one hour difference, I think. Yeah. And to think, I thought that, that Europe was so big. <laughs> <laughs> There's two time zones in Europe, or three, 10. So like for the UK would be, it's 10. And for Germany is like uh, 11. And then for Finland, Estonia, Ukraine, that sort of thing, it's like 12. So it's two hours. But that's about it, pretty much. Well, I apologize that we chose church time. But it seems to be a good time. I mean, we're all in in Buddhist church today, <laughs> singing the hymns of happiness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, thank you all for coming. Anybody thank got you. any parting remarks? Thank you, Anything to say? All right. Well, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Thank, thanks a lot. Yeah. See you. Bye. Okay. Yeah. Bye, bye, guys. See you.